You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope just polished off super wild card weekend going into the divisional round. Not a lot of competitive games like after the fact. Uh, some surprises for sure. A couple of teams from the NFC East, not really sure where their heads were at uh, <laughs> for this past weekend, but uh, a lot of great performances. We'll get to all those uh, very soon. But uh, first, it is. NFL draft prep season. And as always, we tend to uh, talk to some players. So here's Alex coming up. Our guest was born and raised in Florida. I believe the best football state in the country. During his career, he has played for the Miami Hurricanes, the Utah State Aggies, and he spent the last season of his college career with the Kansas Jayhawks. I would like to introduce to you defensive end Patrick Joyner Jr., Patrick, welcome to Pros Like Us. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about that, by the way. I mentioned the best high school football state in the country. There are some good ones out there, right? California, Texas. What do you think makes Florida the best high school football state in the country? Well, it stands us out from different states. I, I just think we have that, that grit. Just being from Florida, you know, it's, it's kind of tough. It's coming up growing up in in Miami especially so I think it's just that grit and the way we're coached from from when we're younger and we get when we get older is that I think it's just a different style you guys are spoiled out there I mean obviously you've got great weather there in the winter many draft prospects go there to train I know we talked about it a little bit off the air I mean you mentioned that you've been at Utah for a couple of seasons and then you spent the last year at Kansas so obviously the cold weather, how have you adjusted to it coming from, you know, the sunny Florida to the cold states? It wasn't easy. You know, like I said, just growing up with that grit and, you know, being able to just manage through different type of adversity, you learn to think is the cold just a it's just a mental thing. You know, once you get past that, you can weather it. What was the coldest game that you experienced, you know, the last three seasons that you've been a part of at Utah and Kansas? What was the game that you remember that you just, you wanted to be inside? Like, you're sitting on the sideline, you're like, damn, this is cold. It was one game I think we played against Wyoming in 2021 at Utah State. It was like 15 degrees. And it was in 2022, we played New Mexico or New Mexico State. It was raining and it was cold. So it was it was kind of bad. You want the snow, right? Because usually when it snows, it's a little bit warmer out there. It's the wind chill. The temperature is like below freezing out there. That's what I think you fear as an athlete, not only as a football player, but as an athlete in general, right? Yeah, like it wasn't even really, really that windy in Utah. Like it was cold, but it wasn't that windy. Kansas is like where it was like really windy. That's what it was. It was. Kansas is actually colder than Utah, in my opinion, because just because of the wind. The Miami Dolphins are going to play in, the, you know, against Kansas City this week. I, I hear it's going to be really, really cold. So um, I wish to. It's supposed and, to be like negative five degrees. 
I wish two and company a lot of luck. Are you a Miami Dolphins fan? Yes, sir. Do they have a shot in that game, Patrick? I mean, here's the best offense in the game. We know that Tua has struggled in cold weather, but they've got those playmakers on the outside. They can run the ball. They can stretch the field. Do they have a chance against the Chiefs? Of course. I feel like dude, I feel like they do. As long as they come in with the, you know, the, the right mental, knowing that it's, it's going to be really cold. So, you know, that's just something you got to deal with. And it's football. You know, they say it's football weather. So as long as they go out there with the right mental, they'll be okay. They'll be fine. If they would have beaten the Buffalo Bills, they would have had the number two seed and they would be hosting a team in sunny Florida. I think that they would have a better shot there than obviously on the road in Kansas City. Uh, It's going to be brutal. All right, let's talk about Kansas. Uh, You spent the last season there. I think the last winning season that the Jayhawks football team had, I looked it up, it was in 2007. What did it feel like being a part of that team this year that finished with nine wins? It was a great upsmith, you know. Now you're a part of history now. We have a great team. We have some great athletes on the team. You know, we have some great coaches. And Coach Lipo is a great guy. He he was able to, you know, bring that place up from a losing program until now what we've become a winning program. So it was a great experience. What makes Coach Lipo so special? Why is he able to bring out the best in people and build a good football program? What did you see from him this year? It's just the structure of how he operates the football program. He treats it like he treats it like we're already in the NFL. That's mostly everybody's goal on the team is to be to play at the next level. So I think that's what, you know, hypes everyone up to be the best they can be every day and just being in that program and the way everything is operated, you have to be on your game, your A game every day. So, How memorable was that game against the Oklahoma Sooners this past season that you guys won? That was different for me. I, it was a great win, you know, against a great team. And, you know, just seeing the fans knock down the, uh, the goalpost at the end of the game, it was a good experience. You know? Have you ever been a part of such a historic victory? where you pull off such a major upset? No, that was actually the, the first time, and it was it was very exciting, you know. That's one moment I'll never forget. I even saved the gloves I wore in that game and wrote down, you know, the scores and everything who we played against that game. That's, that was a very memorable game. How exciting was it to walk away with a win against UNLV in that bowl game? Tell me about that. It was very exciting because, you know, we also we played them – at Utah State, and my last time playing them, they actually beat us at our stadium. When I found out that we were playing UNLV, I was like, "Oh, this is this is one of them games. You know, we got we have to win, and this is my last one. We got to go out with a bang." So that was that was a great win. They were a good team. They had they also had one of the best seasons they had for their program in a, in a long time. So that that was good. Defensive end Patrick Joyner Jr., Kansas Jayhawk is with us right now. What is your most memorable season that sticks out to you? You spent three seasons in Miami, two seasons at Utah State, and one final season in Kansas. Uh, what was the most memorable one for you? Definitely my last one was, was very most memorable. Just being a part of a great program. You know, we were 
up and we were ranked up and uh, up and down during the season. You know, we played against some great teams, some great players. So definitely, this this past season was one of the most memorable. What coach has had the most lasting effect on you, and why? I would say Coach Lipo, just because he's very patient and he understands he understands the players. He understands what we also want, you know. And he doesn't pro- he doesn't have a problem helping us. And you know, like I said before, just the way he he operates through the program and he helps us in many different ways, not just in football but also off the field. So definitely, definitely Coach Lipo. You faced many great athletes during your college football days. Who would you say was the best player that you've gone up against on an opposing team? That's a hard question. I would say Air Force, like just their whole old line and the way they they run that triple option. Was so, it just the scheme? It's definitely the scheme. And they, they also had a great running back, too. I forgot his name. But definitely the scheme. I can't pinpoint any players for sure, but definitely Air Force's scheme just because you have to change the way you play to beat them. It's a tough team to scheme against, right? I mean, you you practice against the spread. You practice against, you know, the 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 pro style offense, right? But you don't see the option anymore these days. They run the same play every play. They might take a shot here and there. They take shots like one or two times a game. So you're you just gotta stay disciplined and, and focus on your job come out with the W. Patrick, tell us, I mean, where are you training right now? Uh, Where is your facility? How are you preparing for the NFL draft? Right now, I'm training up here in Atlanta. I'm mainly focusing on speed and strength, you know, just being more of an explosive guy, working more on my pass rush moves, you know, and just trying to be the most dominant defensive end the scouts are looking for. Obviously, you're going to have a pro day coming up. What are some of the goals that you have? What do you want to show scouts on that big day? I want to show scouts that I am who I say I am. I want to, I want to be the fastest one. I want to be the strongest one. I want to show them how athletic I am, really show my dominance in this drive. Are you going to be playing in any All-Star games coming up? Tell us about that. Yes, I'll be playing in the Tropical Bowl down in Orlando on, on the 20th. So I'll be down there, and I'll be practicing, you know, in front of front of a, a bunch of NFL scouts. I heard that's be there'll be CFL there, XFL, different organizations. You know, I can't I can't wait for that. You know, I get to play, I get the opportunity to put on my helmet again. You know, before anything. So that's that's the great thing about it. What are your goals for that week? For those couple of days, what do you want to show scouts? I mean, during that important All Star game. I just want to show them how much I really love the, the game of football, you know, how hard I work in practice, you know, how hard I go, all that. Show them the energy I bring and what I can offer to their organization, you know, and just, just be the most dominant player out there. If an NFL team drafted you, what would you bring mm-hmm. to that team? What are your main attributes on and off the field? On the field, I feel like I'm the type of player, I like to do all the dirty work. I'm willing to play long snapper if the coach needs me to. You feel me? So I'm that, I feel like I'm that type of player on the field. You know, whatever coach needs me to do, whatever they ask me to do for the success of the team, I'm willing to do it. And off the field, you know, I'm just a great teammate. 
I feel like I'm the type of player you can come to, you can come to and talk about anything about. It necessarily has to be football, you know, off the field things. You know, everybody goes through stuff, and so I'm, I'm that type of player, that type of person you can come and talk to anytime. Do you think at the next level you're going to have to transition to linebacker? I mean, is that something that you're working at during your training? Yes, I plan on doing linebacker drills during pro day. I wouldn't mind. I actually played linebacker, a little bit of linebacker at University of Miami. They recruited me as a linebacker to University of Miami, so I wouldn't mind. It'd be a little different because the past four years I've been playing defensive end, but what I've learned at linebacker when I was at University of Miami, I kind of used that while playing defensive end. How difficult do you think that transition is going to be? I mean, obviously you, you mentioned that you spent four years, last four years at defensive end, even though you were recruited as a linebacker. Uh, you think it's it's a tough transition? I mean, getting back into it, playing more in space? It might be a little tough, you know, just I have to be like more, I'll be more open to different things. But once I get settled in it and get comfortable, I can definitely be dominant at linebacker. Well, Patrick, thanks for being with us. We, we really appreciate it. Good luck at the All-Star Game at the Tropical Bowl. Hopefully it goes well for you. Thank you for having me. All right, Alex, you have Patrick Joyner Jr., edge player, getting ready for the draft. What'd you think of the guy? The guy started his career in Miami. Uh, then he played at Utah State. And then he uh, spent that last season at Kansas. Uh, I would say a historic year at Kansas because they won nine games, Lou. And they seem to be... Uh, Turning that program around under Lance Leipold. Lance Leipold. Lance Leipold. They're building a new stadium. Yeah, a lot of of great great things happening at Rock Chalk. Yeah, it's just the last time I think Kansas went to a bowl game was when Mark Mangino, I believe his name was. It was back in 2007, Lou. They've gone through like 100 coaches since then. If Leipold, you know, stays around... Maybe we're going to associate Kansas school with the football program instead of the basketball program. But I think I'm getting way ahead of myself in that case. When these openings start coming up, I mean, his name comes up a lot. I mean, he had a lot of success at the University of Buffalo, brings, you know, obviously some great players to the NFL. They won a lot of games. Now he's doing the same at Kansas. I think they just extended him, you know, a lot of money there and, you know, build a new stadium, new facilities. So it's, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see, you know, Big 12, Dion's coming this year. A lot of great things happening in the Midwest. So there were some games this weekend. One got shuffled around. So we had two yesterday, as we record here on Tuesday, the 16th, we had two games yesterday. Uh, we had one game that's exclusively on a streaming service. And that went ex- exceedingly well after so many people were, were complaining. I think Peacock reported numbers like 23 million. Uh, I don't know how many of those were new viewers, but I would imagine that's going to be a bonanza for Peacock and uh, a lot of new subscribers and the NFL just kind of showing you that, hey, you know, <laughs> this pay-per-view thing is going to be a thing and it's going to be a bigger thing as we move forward. But uh, regarding the games, Alex, I mean, where is anything more disappointing than the two entrants of from the NFC East? I mean, it just looked like neither team really showed up with any. I mean, this is damn playoffs. Where's Jim Mora? Playoffs? Playoffs? Yeah, it's time to play, guys. You know, in Dallas, they got down 27-zip. Last night, the Eagles looked like they 
much rather be anywhere than sitting there playing a football game in Tampa. Again, the question, which team are you more disappointed in or just kind of just came out flat and just like they just weren't ready to play? I'm going to say the Dallas Cowboys. It's I think that's the popular answer at this point. I don't think many people saw them losing that game. I know there are a few analysts out there that say, hey, this game is going to be competitive. The Green Bay Packers are going to cover the, the point spread. That's, that's one thing. But not many people expected the Green Bay Packers to win against the Dallas Cowboys at home. And nobody saw that happen. And you mentioned the fact that they fell behind 27 to nothing in the first half. I mean, that's game was over. That's downright was over. embarrassing. Low. Dak Prescott played, I would say, a bad game. Just didn't look like a shell of himself. Tried forcing the ball to CeeDee Lamb a number of times. The defense really surprised me. I mean, Dan Quinn's defense did something against Jordan Love. I mean, they played like, they played some zone coverage, and there were numerous times when the defensive backs had no idea what they were doing. The tight end, like, he was wide open by a mile. There was no one near him, almost like he he was a ghost or something. Nobody picked him up. It was a number of times that Romeo Dobbs was just wide open, and the secondary was just oblivious to the fact. The wide receivers were running wild, like open, wide open, and there was no one near him. And I think that was the biggest surprise to me. Uh, you know, it's one thing like Mike McCarthy not having that team ready. It's another thing like Dak Prescott not having a good game. And I'm not talking about those garbage touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Those don't count. They were playing prevent defense at that time. The, the Packers were. But the fact that the defense laid an egg, just a major egg, all right? They couldn't do anything. This is a young Packers team, and they just they took them to school. And the fact that the Green Bay Packers were just they were they looked so balanced. Low Jordan Love was in complete control of the game. Aaron Jones was running wild. They couldn't stop him. They couldn't get to Jordan Love to to force some pressure. Downright embarrassing. And as far as I'm concerned. I think Jerry Jones needs to let Mike McCarthy go because you can't fire players. You can't get rid of Dak Prescott. You can't get rid of that half of that squad. I think you've, we talked about it last week. There's so many awesome, legendary coaches available on the market. Guys that get it done in crunch time. Guys that have been through the thick and thin in the playoffs. You, you got to do it. You got to take your shot. You can't wait till next year because next year you're not going to have most of these guys because they're going to fill up those the, the rest of those jobs. Jerry Jones has got to let Mike McCarthy go. You have to make somebody responsible for this atrocious performance. So uh, I think I'm, I'm expecting something to happen in the next couple of days. Jerry, just he's at times he's way too patient. He lets these coaches hang around. It's not about having a regular season record of 12 and 5. If you can't get it done in the playoffs, if you can't get to the Super Bowl, if time and time again you disappoint, 
you know, your fans, everything else, you can't win the big one. You got to make a switch. That's all I'm saying. No, I'm not going to compare, you know, Mike McCarthy to Marty Schottenheimer. Obviously, Marty had a much longer career, won a, a hell of a lot more games. But, you know, still the same type of vibe in the playoffs for, for some reason or another. These guys get to the playoffs and it's like the teams aren't quite ready to play. It's unfortunate because he's a good guy. I mean, he came up under Marty. He was his first job was in Kansas City with, you know, under Marty Schottenheimer. So that might have something to do with it. But I mean, he isn't like the, the ground and pound guy either, which we thought he was going to be. And he tried to be at the beginning of the year. And then he's like, wait a second. I think we would do much better if we started getting CD Lamb the ball. And then it was like, oh, we found ourselves. But every time it seemed like, you know, they were getting somewhere, you thought they were going to be good. They play, you know, in Philadelphia. They had a chance, whatever, but they lose. They go to Buffalo and just get rolled. But, you know, it looked like they kind of got, you know, their legs under them a little bit coming into the playoffs, but this was just ridiculous. I mean, guys, like you said, completely out of position, not really knowing what they're doing. I mean, I get it. The team is built to play with the lead. They're a little bit smaller on the defensive line, more of a pass rushing team, but hell, even when their, their pass rush wasn't getting there, all these points scored. Now, granted, they did. There was a pick six in there, but still, the offense for Green Bay scored six touchdowns. Okay, Jordan Love threw twenty-one passes, twenty-one completed six, nearly perfect passer rating. I think his last incomplete pass at the end there, where they're trying to get the first down, it like just knocked him down from one fifty-eight three to one fifty-seven two, but. All that said, and Dubs had this huge game, and like you said, Musgrave, Jaden Reed, zero catches. Watson, one catch for nine yards, and they still were up 48 to 16. <laughs> Aaron Jones had, you know, maybe, I don't want to say a career game because he's had better games than that in the past, but back in Texas, he's got his family there, scores three touchdowns. Let's give uh, let's give Matt Lafleur his his love. Uh, now again, that's there's there's like three puns in there. One is quarterback. Lafleur is a flower, so let's give him his flowers. How about that? If I have to explain it, it's really not that funny, is it, Alex? I don't think it is, but you know, most of our <laughs> listeners, most of our listeners got that joke. All right, most of our listeners so the got next, that joke. So. Okay, so again, it's just this awful, and it and it's just inexplicable because it's a playoff game, and just from the beginning, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. Greg Olson was on the game, just saying like the the body language between CD and uh, and Dak, and just the whole team, it, it just didn't look right. Then you heard the exact same thing first quarter last night from Troy Aikman speaking about the Eagles. And it was just the defense has been just completely discombobulated. You know, at a certain point, I don't know, they were I don't know what their record was. It was still pretty good when they kind of pushed Desai off to the side and let Patricia start start calling the defensive signals. And like, okay, all right, not, nothing against him. It wasn't his defense. He didn't install it. But 
again, sometimes it's not so much about the X's and the O's. It's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's. And there was no cohesion, awful tackling, minimal effort. I'm watching the Manning cast because it was the last one of the year. And one of the, the in the second half, their guest was Ray Lewis. He was coming out of his skin talking about this Eagles team, especially on defense. He all he said, just some highlights. Individual football. Uh, they're not using proper angles when they're going to tackle. In order, in other words, not so much like getting to the guy, but using your help to you kind of funnel the guy towards the help. He kept saying, put him in it, put him in a teacup, right? So in other words, it's like uh obviously his team, one of the a couple times, arguably, is one of the some of the greatest defenses ever. But if you see the ball going a certain way, you're you're sprinting. You're not jogging. You're not. And and he that's what he was seeing. He's like these guys just don't seem like they they seem to be moving or going towards the ball. And it's just a lot of fundamental stuff. And it was just so ugly. I mean, if Tampa Bay catches a few more balls in the first half that they dropped. You said it before we went on air, Alex, is, well, you know, the Eagles hung there. They had a touchdown. No, I don't think it really it even mattered. It was just a total just implosion. That's the only word I can think of, because even on offense, they had like no answers for the blitz. Like we're playing against a Todd Bowles defense. What's the one thing you got to be ready for? Pressure. Many pressures. Pressure. I mean, it's like. He doesn't care. He's going to send the house on a regular basis. No answers. None. I mean, it was like they just went five wide and and Hertz is back there basically by himself. No hot, you know, no, no hot receiver, nothing. It was just, you know, there you go, buddy. Let it fly. And it was, oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I just made me sick watching it. Now, I guess we got some inklings of this because they had lost whatever five of their last six. And it just looked like things were rolling out of control. And my God, I mean, they, I don't want to, you don't want to say they quit, but I don't know if they ever showed up. Who do you think should lose his job? Who is the more likely candidate McCarthy or Sirianni? <laughs> Honestly, who would I, you fire? I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not I'm not in that building. What I would want to know, and they and they and they will know this, Howie Roseman, Jeffrey Lurie know this. If they can point their finger to Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon kind of running that show when they had it rolling and 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 rolled all the way to the end of the Super Bowl, and they're not there, and that's and this is kind of the product then Sirianni's out because he's just in way over his head and it just doesn't seem like he has any control over the thing. A lot of the, you know, a lot of the antics on the sideline, you know, you gotta, I understand you're an emotional guy. You want to, you know, you kind of want to be that player's coach, if you would, I don't know, youthful exuberance, but this is the NFL. You're going to keep playing these guys every year. You're going to get your ass handed to you if you keep that up. And that's what, and that's what happened. 
And I'm sure there was a lot of coaches out there that were on the other end of some of those beatdowns that were just laughing their asses off through the end of this this debacle that was the end of the Eagles season. And I'm talking the last month. And then also what the hell, whatever that was in Tampa last night. So they know, you know, and if that's the case, this is kind of just me on the outside looking in not knowing any of this stuff, but they do. If they feel that he is in over his head and now he's proven it, that he's got to go. There's no way you bring him back. Well, Lou. McCarthy, McCarthy has a chance just because, like what you were saying, that you know Jerry's been a little more patient with his coaches. But with all these names out there available, it makes it a, lot, a little easier to pull the trigger on a guy. Well, you've been doubting Baker Mayfield, Baker Mayfield for as long as I can remember. Absolutely, like this is bad. I, this is one of my this is my worst take in like maybe three years of doing this show because now he's he's probably he's earned himself an extension and probably going to be the starting quarterback there for a while. No, I've done worse. I mean, I I have an agenda against. No, I'm saying I'm saying mine personally. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I've also got an agenda against C.J. Stroud. You know, being a rookie. And the way he dismantled, you know, the Cleveland Browns and that man coverage, that single high coverage. I mean, that that just looked bad. And, and the theme is, like, we thought we knew that Dallas Cowboys defense was good. The Cleveland Browns defense was good. Well, you know what? Neither of those defenses showed up during the, the wild card weekend. So C.J. Stroud looked like a veteran. He just carved up that secondary, knowing exactly what's going to come. Jim Schwartz didn't even mix it up. He just threw it out there and said, hey, we're going to go with what got us there. And you know what? I think at times, when you've got a rookie quarterback, you have to disguise coverages a little bit. You can't just play man coverage all the time. I mean, you your defensive line is hurt. Miles Garrett is not 100%. You're not able to put that pressure that you were putting on opposing offenses in the beginning of the year, in the first half of the year. That wasn't the same Cleveland Browns defense. So why wouldn't you try to confuse that rookie quarterback with different coverages? Why are you giving him such such easy looks where he knows exactly where to go? And after watching that game, Lou, and Washington hiring the, the 49ers, you know, uh, tree getting a GM out there from San Francisco. I started Adam thinking Peters, that yeah. I think it's pretty easy to piece things together. That I think Bobby Slowick might be the next head coach <laughs> uh, of the Washington Commanders because hey, this, sound, this sounds familiar. This sounds a little bit like pros like us 160. Uh, that's what I'm saying. Like, but the one, 160, <laughs> 160 was saying, hey. We got to get some great coaches in there, you know. We've got to get, you know, Mike Vrabel in there. We got, you know, Bill Belichick in there. It, it looks like Bobby Slowick is probably going to be that hot new assistant from the Kyle Shanahan's tree because all of those you would think all of those guys are doing pretty well. When you look at the well. two off the two offenses that just you know crushed these so-called good defenses, both come from that tree in Lafleur and uh, Bobby Slowick, like you like you mentioned and. Uh, I mean, the weird thing is, is that the two quarterbacks had nearly identical, I mean, almost to a T. They both were 16 out of 21. They both had 157.2 passer ratings, three touchdowns. The only difference was Stroud threw for 274 and 
and uh, Love threw for 272. So <laughs> I don't know, you know, if you get into like numbers and stuff like that, but I think just the overall thing is, okay, if you're not running a style of this offense, you better have something else uh, that is comparable or something that can score some points because I mean, you got Andy Reid still kind of tinkering with that West Coast offense and and playing around with you know he's got his own flavor of it. Now this isn't Bill Walsh by any stretch, but you know you better have some signature thing because right now it looks like that style offense is kind of has taken over. Right. I mean, this is where you know, with all these assistants being littered out there uh, with the head coaches now moving on or the, the assistants from Shanahan going out and getting their own jobs, whether it's McVeigh, LaFleur, you know, like you said, Slowick, the OC in Houston. Um, yeah, you got to find a way to stop them. And uh, so far it ain't, it ain't working. Something's got to come to a head. Green Bay going to San Francisco now. We'll see what happens with that. Obviously, we'll talk about that a little bit later. But what do you think about Tomlin's team coming out flat as well? That's something I didn't expect, and I'll tell you why. Because, you know, everybody is watching those other playoff games. This is one of the late ones, right? It's the Monday night game. And everybody is looking at these teams coming out flat, right? Like we talked about it, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, not having their best game and seeing that. You would think that a veteran head coach like Mike Tomlin, who's been there many times, and this isn't his best team. I get it. He's got a young team, and Mason Rudolph is a quarterback. I mean, give me a break. But I just expected a little bit more. I expected a little more fight uh, out of the Pittsburgh Steelers against the Buffalo Bills. I thought they would be up for it. And again, they were playing catch-up when it didn't matter anymore. And it just it never looked close. And do you think Tomlin is, is a goner as well? Especially what happened, you know, during that press conference. Well, they got it to 24-17. Now, this game did get close, I thought. And I thought, you know, the Steelers at that point did about as much as they could. I don't know... On that day, I don't know if there's anything that you can say differently or whatever. I think your team's either ready to play or not. Now, obviously, this game was supposed to be played on Sunday. They played on Monday. That might have had something to do with it. Just the fact that they typically don't score a ton of points to begin with, that makes it difficult. The fact that Buffalo came out was just kind of humming right from the jump, and they got behind the eight ball. Then they throw the interception in the end zone, you know, they're at the, I don't know, they're inside the five or at the five yard line and they throw the interception in the end zone. It was 21, nothing there. If they get six, you know, maybe they've got a chance, but I don't, I don't think they were ever going to win that game. They might've covered at some point, but they weren't going to win that game. Uh, so I don't know if they were flat or they were just outmanned uh, for the most part. Uh, you know, their, I want to say their uh, offense just because they have to play a certain way. I think, you know, is, I don't know, Jalen Warren needs to touch the ball a lot more. For as much as he does, he just has to get it more. A little bit more juice than Najee has. Najee's got his, I mean, he kind of found himself 
uh, once they had the coordinator change. I don't know if it was a psychological thing. I don't know if he just didn't like Canada, whatever. But it seemed like he got things going a little bit. But still, Jalen Warren just is a very explosive guy. Um, I don't know what the deal is with, with George Pickens. Looks like an, an amazing talent. Deontay Johnson's a good player. Fryermuth is a good player. They need a quarterback. They truly do. They're, they're pl- you're playing with your third guy. You know, for them to get to the playoffs was just nearly miraculous, I think. Um, so, I don't know. I, he's been there 17 years. Do they finally realize maybe we need to go with an offensive head coach or we need to bring in like an offensive coordinator that is like with the times and can kind of get the most out of these young, talented players. No TJ Watt. That was a killer. So I don't know. I mean, it just, it just seemed to me like Josh Allen was the best player on the field, which in most games he is, but he really showed it. Um, you know, Diggs had a so-so game, caught some passes, maybe 50 yards for the game. But the the young guys, Kincaid, Shakir, they look like they're starting to step up a little bit. So um, I think Pittsburgh just was outmanned. Now, in terms of Tomlin, like I said, if the Steelers, they just don't fire coaches. So I think if Tomlin's thinking, I just need to step away from this situation, maybe take a year off, go do some TV for a year and then kind of come back to it the following year. Or just, I need a, you know, I just need a new scenery and maybe the players and the organization just needs, you know, a a fresh voice because like 17 years, a long time. I think it was Pat Riley was one of the first ones to say as an NBA coach, you're somewhere for like seven or eight years at a certain point. They just, the, the message doesn't, isn't quite as, as received as well. And it just turns into a lot of noise. And after 17 years, last five playoff games, they've lost. And most of them have not been close. I don't know. The Roonies might go kind of off script. I don't think they will. I think Tomlin, it would, I guess be announced if he did leave that he was stepping away or we've mutually decided to part and then he'll, he'll go on his merry way. But I can't say one way or the other, just because I've never seen it. The only game that was close Lou was the Rams against the Lions. I mean, that was the most, that was the game that had you at like the, the tip of your couch. I mean, it yeah, had you, you, were, you had it. You, you weren't turning you weren't turning it off at any point. I just felt like the the Lions were the more physical team, especially at the line of scrimmage. And, and you could feel that. Whether it was on the offensive line or their defensive line, this game was one in the trenches. Even though it was close, the Lions were efficient. You know, both teams didn't turn the ball over. Goff didn't do anything stupid. Amon Ross St. Brown made those plays when it mattered the most, and, and the Lions were able to run the ball. And I thought the game just came down to this toughness factor that I think that coaching staff and, you know, Campbell bring to this team. And they just looked like they wanted it. Like, they, they, they knew that they haven't been there in a while, that this is the first playoff game since 1993, and they they didn't want to go home. And Jared Goff was playing with a chip on his shoulder. You know, say what you want, but during the lead up to the game, it sounded like 
Sean McVay has let it go. Like Matthew Stafford doesn't really care. And Jared Goff is still feeling the, those ill effects that he was let go, that the Rams won the Super Bowl, that you know, how could they get rid of me? He had a, a point to prove, and I, I thought he did. Well, I th- yeah, you know, for what you said, and this probably speaks to a little bit of toughness. The, the difference in the game to me was just red zone, where the Rams kicked three field goals and scored, uh, what, two touchdowns, three field goals, where when Detroit got in the red zone, and again, it may be the, the toughness factor uh, on the offensive line, is they were able to, to run, run a few in. They had the short one to Laporta. Amon Ross St. Brown showed why he's an all-pro. Also with the red zone is that I don't know if he's still injured or or maybe the wear and tear has gotten to him, but Cooper Cup was a bit of a ghost. I mean, Puka just, I mean, this kid has just been a revelation to do what he's been doing pretty much all season with Cup on the field, without Cup on the field. Him to go for a buck 81 in his first playoff game, scores a touchdown. And to me, he was pretty close to the best player on the field, I thought. But Stafford showed his toughness. His hand blew up. He's like bleeding on the sideline. He almost get, almost got killed on the play, and there was no call. But again, Detroit at home, great story. I agree with you. Goff, I think it was taken a little more personally. And he came out and he was flawless early. 14 for 14, got him rolling. And then when they had to have that first down of the last possession so they could end the game with the ball in their hands, hits the first down to, to St. Brown, and that was it, all she wrote. So uh, it, it was a really good game, stories everywhere. The place just looked and sounded electric, and now they get another home playoff game. So that, that was uh, pretty cool for Detroit. The Andy Reid stash, which is I'll never forget that picture, stole it from some people posting it on social media. So I've got that in my phone. That's uh, that's classic. If I could kind of maybe get that uh, frame to put it up somewhere, just the, the the icicles coming down from his nose. I don't know if the league is. It just you don't hear them talk about it. And again, you got to take it with a grain of salt. It was the Dolphins. They were, you know, undermanned, I guess you'd have to say on offense. Were they? I don't know. They had most of their weapons. But, you know, the weather, everything else, to me, I mean, this is the best defense they've had since, uh, I want to say, maybe Marty's teams. And that's going back to, like, somewhere between 89 and 93, okay? They are really, really good. And outside of one play over the top where Tyreek, you know, on an underthrown deep pass, which again, that's like now becoming like the undefeated play. If you've got a wide receiver that tracks the ball and he's going deep and the the corners anywhere near him, just throw it under, throw it because either you're, he's either going to come back because he sees the ball and catch it, or he's going to try to come through the defender and the automatic flag. Tyreek did it. McCole Hardman did not. So that was the that's the big difference between those two guys. But no, nine yards outside of that one big play. He had nine yards and Legereus Sneed was just punking him by the end of the game. So I just need to get that off my chest. And another rookie wide receiver, Rasheed Rice, 130 yards playoff record for the Chiefs as a rookie. 
that's all I got. Yeah, he stepped up. <laughs> I mean, that was big time. They they needed a wide receiver uh, on the outside that would be able to take off that, that pressure from Travis Kelsey. And Rasheed Rice was able to beat them. And, you know, that man coverage, one-on-one. And, you know, he, get, he got the job done. There's no question about it. Can he step up? Two games in a row. We'll we'll see what happens. But he has been the most consistent pass catcher out of the entire team. And at times you can make a case that he's been even more consistent than Travis Kelsey this season. Certainly down the stretch. Absolutely. He is their he's go-to their, guy. He yeah. is their go-to yep. guy. So they, they found it. You, you can't say anything else. I mean, I agree with you. The defense was stellar. Okay. They had a game plan to a T. And the one thing that I respect about Spagnola is that he always adjusts his game plan. And whatever he used against the Dolphins is not something that he's going to use against the Bills. He always mixes it up, and his guys always seem to know what they need to do. And, and he did it time and time again with the Giants. You know, when he was their defensive coordinator, and he's doing the same thing with the Chiefs. I respect coordinators that are able to game plan to a specific opponent whether you can do it on offense or whether you can do it on defense you can't just throw out the same defense or same offensive looks every time because hey these guys are smart you got to be playing chess at times it just feels like coordinators are playing checkers well spagnola probably plays you know a pretty good game in chess and I probably should play him, Lou, one of these days. I, I'm almost every, yeah. <laughs> Well, everything, you know, it's all, everything is on film. Everything's on tape. So like you said, Alex, you can't, you know, continue to show the same looks, same tendencies on a regular basis. And this always used to come up, you know, with the, uh, with the Patriots, whether it was offense or defenses, it was different every week. It wasn't a, not so much a system that they ran. It was, opponent specific and that's what bags does and you know the, again i mean famously i mean his the plans that he had for brady uh when he was with the giants uh what he what he's been doing since they, they've kind of grown up the the, uh, the the younger players have grown up again in this system but again it, it wasn't like that long i mean like i said last year they were ahead of schedule because they were mostly rookies playing in the back end so now most of them are, are second year guys you throw in you know mcduffie that just has again has just become a really really good player i think he made all pro as the slot corner uh first team so uh, yeah, he's got he's got a lot of chess pieces on that defense that he can move around. Drew Tranquil has just been, I think, one of the most underrated uh, additions in free agency this year. Uh, you don't hear a lot about him, but when uh, when uh, Bolton was out, he put on the green dot first year in the defense, and they didn't skip a beat. I thought they maybe elevated their game a little bit. Now they can use him since Bolton came back a little bit more in coverage. He's a great cover linebacker. They blitz him. I mean, he's, like I said, he's a chess piece. Sneed, same thing for the back end. They use him in, you know, in short blitzes. He'll, he'll, he'll cover the best receiver if they need to. He can play inside, outside. It's, uh, again, I'm blown away because for the first time in so long where I don't, you know, as watching watching the game as a fan, I'm not, hoping 
that the defense can can kind of get a stop. It's like, okay, this is going to happen. We're putting our best unit on the field when these guys come out, where in the past it was like, God, I hope the, the other team's offense screws up. Whereas now it's like, okay, we got this. So should be an interesting game in Buffalo uh, this weekend. All right, let's get to the divisional round, and we've got four exciting games. Let's do a quick preview out there. Let's start with the first game, right? The the Ravens and the Texans. Houston, that young quarterback going to Baltimore. You got the aforementioned Bobby Slowick going going uh, toe-to-toe with Mike McDonald, the defensive coordinator for the uh, for the Ravens. Both are candidates and have uh, had uh, interviews requested by teams with openings. So, uh, you know, those guys can, can bring it. Uh, we talked a little bit about Slowick, but McDonald has been no slouch. Obviously, the Ravens' defense has always been a, a good unit. Uh, you know, whether it was uh, Ryan uh, or, or uh, I'm trying to I'm trying to think, uh, Wink Martindale. You've had all different coordinators, but they've always been pretty good, right? McDonald's got his own little flair on it, and they've got those two guys in the middle that I swear are almost like looking in a mirror, uh, Queen and uh, uh, Roquan Smith. I mean, just amazing. So uh, that's going to be, be that's going to be a tall order for Houston and uh, C.J. Stroud. But he doesn't look he looks unflappable. Seriously. I mean, he just looks so calm so with it like he's been doing this for five years, you know, in the NFL. And I, I am so impressed by that kid. Yeah, I mean, Houston's offense as a whole just relied on explosive plays against the Browns, right? They they hit like over and over again for those 25 plus yards. I mean, they got some explosive plays against that defense. They're not going to do the same against the Ravens. They're just they're not going to allow that to happen because the Ravens defense has been elite this season. Plus you've got Andrews, the tight end being designated to come off the injured reserve. Yeah, so that's, that's huge. That's huge. He's going to play a part in it. Well, you know, Isaiah Likely played a major part. He became kind the of... The gorilla. The gorilla. Give him, his, give him his props, Alex. He became the... Friend of the show. Yeah, he became <laughs> like the go-to guy in the middle of the field, and he was able to to make some of those explosive plays in, in, in that offense. But now with Andrews coming back... You've got that that two-headed monster, you know, a tight end. Who are you going to cover? You still need to account for Andrews, even though he's probably not going to be 100%. The one thing that Houston doesn't do is they don't turn the ball over, Lou. That's very rare. Like, D'Amico Ryan's team is just so disciplined, and C.J. Stroud is so efficient. And this isn't just dinking and dunking for three or five yards, okay? Stroud attacks. He's throwing downfield as well. I think that's what's been so impressive. I thought it was going to end against the Browns because I've been doubting the Texans all season long. You know, I I realize that Stroud is going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year, but I seem to discount that. You know, just rookie quarterbacks, they're going to struggle. He does look different. He really does. So we'll we'll see what happens. Obviously, the Ravens are on the road. They seem to be one of the most complete teams. You know, they... They beat my 49ers. I mean, that, that speaks volumes out there. I'll make my pick, Lou, at the end of the game when you're doing your picks because we're still going to go head-to-head. I'm going to continue. 
13 yards per attempt in the game against Cleveland. So obviously loves was uh, exactly the same. Uh, and they're both going against, they're both going against the one seed in their respective, uh, you know, respective games. Um, yeah, this, this is, it's kind of fascinating because Baltimore has been installed uh nine and a half, 10 point favorite in the game in the same San Francisco over green Bay. So are these guys not, not getting a whole lot of respect? I mean, it's the same number that Mason Rudolph was getting in Buffalo. Thoughts. <laughs> uh, I'm not surprised, but I think do you feel that that's disrespectful or do you think that's just, Hey, they, that's, that's who they are. They're the young team against the number one seed. It should be a 10 point spot. I think to open, I think it should be nine and a half or 10. I think that number will decrease a little bit. I'm not saying it's going to get down to seven, but I think it could get down to like 8.5 because I think that the smart people, they're going to take that action and they're going to go with the underdog. They'll take the points, especially maybe the, the Houston game, right? Because, I mean, the Texans have kind of shown that the fact that it doesn't matter whether they're, they're on the road or not. It doesn't matter. I mean, they've been consistent. So I do think that number will go down a little bit. But uh, these are the two best teams in the NFL. Right. right. Yeah, I, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, you figure, you know, maybe a touchdown. But just, again, when you look at it that way, and um, I think – I'm trying to say, I think Cowherd may have mentioned it and it made sense where you got Mason Rudolph was getting 10 at Buffalo. And now you got these two guys that are on the verge. I mean, is you know, first year starter for love and CJ Stroud, a rookie first year, obviously, I mean, on the, maybe on the verge of stardom, if not superstardom, you know, if it keeps trending in this direction and here they are getting, and now again, it is a team game. I get it, but yeah, that's uh, that's those are some some big numbers that those one seeds are going to have to have to cover. Uh, and Houston seemingly does it with one weapon, right? I mean, it's Nico Collins, which again, I mean, he's probably the, the most underrated piece of this whole thing is where this guy was kind of a a guy at Michigan. I mean, he's playing for Harbaugh. They're not throwing the ball a ton. So it wasn't like he was putting up huge numbers that he comes in the league. And again, I mean, that whole situation in Houston, the last couple of years has just been ridiculous and just so mismanaged. And it was just hard for anybody to really succeed. And now all of a sudden here we are, we get, we get a, an adult in the room, you know, as far as the coach, we get, uh, you know, a quarterback that looks like he might be that next guy. And here we are. Um, I just got it would have been so cool if Tank Dell stays healthy to, to see, you know, I, I get it. They were pretty explosive without him. But wow, th that would be a handful for that Baltimore defensive tank was still around. Noah Brown goes on IR. They're, they're, they're hitting big plays to uh, Brevin Jordan. The tight end goes for like 75 down the sideline. Uh, Dalton Schultz, you know, is that going to be enough? That's the, that's going to be the, the real key here, I think, is will they have enough if Lamar gets on a heater? All right, Lou, the Chiefs against the Bills. I mean, this is uh, the third time that Josh Allen is going to yeah. meet 
yep. and, and play against Patrick Mahomes. Mahomes is two and zero at this point in the in the in the, in the playoffs. But the right? only the difference is, I think Josh, Josh has gotten him a few times in the regular season. The only difference is they've never played in Buffalo in the playoffs. So this is the first time that uh, this happens. So obviously we saw a dominant Chiefs defense against a very good Dolphins offense. And then the Bills are just slowly, I mean, you can call them like the best team right now in the AFC because, I mean, with all due respect to the Ravens, but the way they have carried that winning streak, you know, it might not always be pretty. All right. They might not always be blowing people away. And you mentioned that, you know, a couple of weeks ago against the Dolphins, they didn't look that pretty. Okay. They let them hang around, but they keep winning. Lou, that defense and that offense, they're in sync. And Josh Allen, I think he showed in that game against the Steelers why he is so dangerous. So what do you think about this game? They've lost so many players on defense. I think they lost, I think, I don't know if Terrell Bernard, who kind of came in and, and kind of took over for Milano and was really playing at a high level, it seemed like, and he got hurt yesterday. I don't know if, what his availability is. It didn't look good. He went off on a, on a cart, and again, it, it didn't look good. Uh, some of the backup, you know, the starting corners who are backups because the, the, each of the starters was out. Rasul Douglas didn't play. Tredavious White's been out for almost the whole season. And that's just like the same thing every year. I mean, he's turning into, uh, it would seem like Derwin James every year, <laughs> two games in, he's done. So I, I don't, at a certain point, next man up, you can only really go so far. So that I think they're a little bit behind the eight ball on defense. Offensively, that's where I want to see what what what's, what Spags is going to do on the when Buffalo has the ball. What Spags is going to do with the defense because it seems like again it's more Kincaid, Shakir, hell, even Sherfeld, some the the, the comp. Complimentary players. Now, Gabe Davis torched them, you know, the, in the 13-second game. He had like, I don't know if he had like four or five touchdowns. I think he had four touchdowns that day. And it looked like that was going to propel him into being like a really good player. And it didn't happen last year. It didn't happen this year. He's hurt. So, again, it's these the young tight end had, is really stepping up. Do they, you know, how does he deploy this? Is he Is he going to kind of – allocate some resources to really lock down Kincaid and force him to go against Sneed and to Diggs. Now I'm sh- you can't lock somebody up completely. These are pro professional athletes. This is you know one of the top receivers in the game. He's going to get some, as long as he doesn't get any over the top and the chiefs have done a great job of not getting beat so much over the top this year. So that's that's the the interesting part for me. Offensively, I think the Chiefs have kind of figured out who they are, or at very least, what works with this group. And you you've seen it over well the Cincinnati game a few weeks ago. Again, no one really played against the Chargers the last game, but but you saw against Miami, Kelsey Rice Pacheco. And then, you know, a few a few sprinkled in here and there, whether it's Noah Gray, uh, McCole Hardman, uh, maybe on some short stuff. Might get Tony back for this game. I don't know, but I don't think he'll be a huge part of the plan. I think they found the recipe on offense. 
it's efficient might not get any you know like huge explosive plays it'll be more run after the catch stuff so uh i think they're 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 pretty set i i feel pretty confident the way they're playing that they can go up there and win they've done it before uh during the covid year they had a bunch of injuries on the offensive line and they just decided they were going to run the ball that day and i think clyde went for like 175 i mean it was you know it was completely opposite of what you would have expected them to come in and do that game. So it'll be interesting to see how they do this offensively, but I think the recipe is there and uh, I'm feeling pretty good. All right. Good for you. I mean, I, I'm glad that you're pumped for this. You you sound like you're in a better place than you were before the wild card game. Because again, I think they've settled in. Okay. This is, how, this is the way we have to play. And I, and uh, I'm sure, you know, I've mentioned this before, but on another show, the Chiefs Blitz are four guys in a bar podcast at Chiefs Blitz. For those of you that are, are YouTube inclined, we've talked about this for the last few weeks is like, OK, this is the I mean, we, we have to find our identity. It seemed like uh, offensively it was too much trying to kind of recreate what they were doing in previous years versus playing to the strengths of the players that were performing, if you would. And Kelsey had a week off. So I think that helped him a little bit. Uh, he had some drops the other night, but he still, you know, made some plays first down. So hopefully he kind of gets going, but uh, Pacheco and you know rice, that that's kind of the recipe right now. And the defense is, I, this is as confident as I've been in a deep, like I said, since the Marty days, and that's going back 30 years. Well, we already talked about it. Uh, the, the Green Bay Packers pulled off a stunner, you know, in the playoffs against Dallas, and it, Jordan Love was nearly perfect. Aaron Jones was running like his old self. Romeo Dobbs looked like Jerry Rice out there getting behind the defense. But they're playing against the best team in the NFC it's the San Francisco 49ers who were a complete team during the regular season. So many weapons, you know, the the running game that, that sets up that passing game. Brock Purdy was, was nearly perfect, you know, the, the past, you know, like in, in the second half of the year once they got it rolling. I like the defense. Obviously, they, they do enough. And I think that that pass rush is going to get after it, I think, in the playoffs. The fact that they're deep and they can rotate so many guys out there, I think that's going to be the key in the playoffs. Plus, they had a week off, man. A week off for Kyle Shanahan to design the perfect offensive plan against the Green Bay Packers, against his former friend, right? They, they've worked together, you know, with the Falcons out there. They have quite a history, you know, with the 49ers. I think it's the 49ers are going to win this game. I don't think like I'm going to say this again. I'm, I'm going to get myself in trouble again. All right. I'm just going to say that Go, do it. San say Francisco it. is going to win this game. That's all I'm going to say. They are the better team, but well, I'm where, not going well, to. How doubt. are you going to get how are you going to get yourself in trouble? What, I just, what? I wanted to call out Jordan Love again, you know, but I, I can't do that. Against oh, that okay. Against well, everything you everything you were saying about the San Francisco offense, I think is like you can just put that in a mirror and reflect the Green Bay offense right now, except 
I believe that the Green Bay quarterback is a lot more talented than the San Francisco quarterback. Ouch. All right. Ouch. I guess we'll find out on Sunday, right? Who, who comes out on top? I, I know you're I was trying to. I was starting. To, I was starting to stoke stoke the fire. I know you've got. Okay. I know you've got a love affair with Jordan Love. I mean, I, he is your guy. But seriously, He's have you watched? Have guy, you watched you know? the games? I mean, you talk about nearly perfect. I mean, just the way he's playing, he just looks so relaxed. He kind of. I think about halfway through the season when you saw it when we saw him on Thanksgiving Day in Detroit. And it was like, oh, my God, this guy's like really, really good. And he continued it through the end of the season. And then that game against Dallas, I mean, that was just I, – I don't know that he could have – it was flawless, really. I mean, some of the passes, even though he's like on his back foot, maybe you could nitpick the throw to Musgrave. He was so wide open. I think maybe he was just trying to get it there rather than, you know, really, you know, whistle it whistle it in or try to be too cute. Uh, but, you know, hell, maybe he could have thrown that a little bit better. But the bottom line is they score on the play. So the play, the throw to Wicks over the middle in the, in the end zone. I mean, that was that's next level stuff. So it's basically, you know, not exactly, but pretty much the same offense they're running. And the Packers guys, you just don't know their names as well as Debo and Ayuk and Kittle and McCaffrey. These guys are much younger. So, you know, the lack of experience could show at a certain point. It hasn't so far, but, you know, that could come out. I think the biggest defense, the biggest difference is the San Francisco defense versus the Green Bay defense. You can put your, you know, if you're going to put your money on one of them, you're going to put your money on the San Francisco defense versus Green Bay. They've played much better. They had a lot of issues, the Green Bay defense. They've played much better, but still, you know, they can be had. And you've got some injuries. Jair Alexander came into the game, beat up, got hurt again. So we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I picked him for the Super Bowl for a reason. I was just trying to get a rise out of you, Alex. <laughs> I was hoping <laughs> I was hoping the love Purdy thing would do it. I, I don't want to get in trouble, all right, on, on this podcast out there. I'm trying Who the to hell are you going to get in trouble with? <laughs> I'm trying to be more humble out here. I'm trying to all know, right. get my okay. team. New, is it a New Year's New Year's thing? Just kind of like an affirmation here? We're just That's right. A little I'm bit just, more, I'm trying a little more get, humility. I'm trying to get San Francisco into the Super Bowl. I'm, all I'm, right. I'm trying to get you to pump them up, and I'm trying to be a little more humble here. So. Oh, you know I mean, I think they're, the, I think they're the, right. That's the best roster in the NFL. I mean, for them to lose, it's going to have to be some self-inflicted stuff. I don't think you're going to go there. Now, again, Baltimore was able to do it. Uh, God bless them in Santa Clara. So that was, you know, that was something. Uh, but I still believe as far as these, the NFC matchups that they have, I don't think they lose to Green Bay or Detroit or Tampa. Hey, Baker going in, literally going into the lion's den. What, uh, what do you think? I, again, I've had to kind of eat some humble pie here with, uh, with Baker Mayfield and what he's been able to do. Uh, I still say all those numbers from, from last night were against a team that was just looked like they, they showed up at the park and said, okay, let's play a game. Um, but Hey, he's had a good year. 
Uh, I think he deserves to be the starter there for the foreseeable future. And, uh, but I can't, I can't see them doing it again. I mean, with all due respect, but you know, the Lions offense got now, off to a now, remember how you talked them up earlier in the show. The Lions got off to a blazing start against LA, right? I think they scored they touchdowns on the first three possessions, right? They moved the God, football. 14, with... 14 for 14 looked like it was going to be, you know, this game was going to the 40s. And in the first half, it was just picture perfect. In the second half, it was the defense that played a major role. And Aiden Hutchinson has taken his game to another level here, here down the stretch in the second half part of the, in the, of the year in the playoffs. Obviously, he was the major difference. But the Lions' defense is still susceptible to big plays. Hello? I mean, they really are. I mean, your guy, Puka Nakua, Right, 181 yards against them, and even though they held Cooper Cup in check, and they did, I just think they are susceptible, and they are going up against Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and who are these guys that that showed up against the Eagles? Who are these Trey Palmer? What is this? I mean, right. who are these David, guys? David Moore. They, they weren't tackling. I mean, I know they okay, were. they got I open, know. they caught the pass. I know. But they're like, I know. They weren't breaking tackles either. There were just guys coming by, like, reaching for their flag. Like, hey, where is it? Well, I mean, the, it, 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 the Lions did. I wish, I wish you could have seen Ray Lewis. I mean, if you can, like, look up the Manning cast and just Ray Lewis. He, I, I thought it seemed like he was coming out of his skin. I, mean, just, I can imagine. So I mean, off. I wrote down that tackling was just a major issue for the Eagles. I mean, it was just, it was atrocious. Because if the Eagles tackled the way Levante David tackled against them, this would probably be a different game because they, they just didn't want to. Like, I don't know what happened. I mean, I guess Sirianni just lost that locker room. It's probably going to come out somewhere after he gets fired. But yeah. something has gone on. You know, one on. thing, now that, now that you mentioned that, just a quick tidbit, and I don't know if they were doing this just for theatrics or whatever, but there was a short that was posted online and it was there. Uh, he and Travis were recording the new, their new Heights podcast. They, I think it comes out every Tuesday or whatever, uh, or they do it on Monday or anyway, Travis starts like, like ribbing him about the Eagles locker room and what, what, what's going on in there. And, and Jason just kind of stopped, stopped talking. And it like Travis, like, what, what's going on? What do we need to start over? And he was almost, I think it was real. It, it sounded like it was real. He goes, and he like takes a sip of his drink and he goes, um, I just need a minute. And he put down the drink and he walked away. And then he came back and they, and they finished the show. So I think so, because he looked emotional the whole, I mean, the fourth quarter, after the game, it was uh, – and then it came out today that he's retiring. So, anyway, go ahead. I thought that was interesting, and and maybe it has nothing to do with anything, but it's certainly – he hit it – looked like he – you know, the younger brother hit it, hit a nerve, and there must be something that, that happened there. There are two things that kind of stand out to me as far as this game. First of all, in week six, the Lions defeated the Bucks 20-6, to okay? And Jerry Goff had an easy day. Amon Rossane Brown just also had a field day against that Bucks secondary. But 
when I look at this is an interesting stat, and you would appreciate this, by the way, as a as a former gambler, current gambling man. Away from Raymond James Stadium during the regular season, Tampa Bay was a league best, eight and one against the spread. I think that says a lot. I mean, as far as like we want to talk about Baker Mayfield and yeah. When you look at that team, like, who do they have? Like, Levante David, Mike Evans. But it's not like a star-studded team, okay? I, many people believe... A lot, of, a lot of guys still there from the Super Bowl team. Well, I mean, that also plays a role. They, they've been there, and, and they've done this. Yeah. But it's still a... Shaq Barrett, Via Veda, or um, who's uh, Chris Godwin. We're going through the list. Antoine Winfield Jr., Carlton Williamson, uh, or is it Carlton Davis? Davis. Carlton Williamson, was he used to play for the Niners years ago. He was a defensive back, too. He was really good. I liked him. Uh, so, <laughs> all these names kind of run together after the years, Alex. But no, it seemed like there's at least 10 guys that were in the Super Bowl with Brady. But it's still on that team. So that, that's got to count for something. Oh, it definitely counts for something. I mean, the fact that these guys have been through the thick and thin and they, and they made a deep run, and they won a Super Bowl. Absolutely. But it's not a star-studded group, okay? It's not the Ravens. Right. It's not the 49ers, right? I mean, it's it's still a team that people, like, pause and, and say, hey, the Eagles are going to get it done. I'm glad, by the way, you picked the Bucks. I'm glad I talked some sense into you, by the way. You during did. Last yeah, week's show. thank I, you. I'm glad because I thought you were going to stick to your guns. You know, I thought you were going to go with the old – you talked me into yeah. it, man. I, you know, it just you. Sometimes you you see a team that's cascading the the snowballs rolling downhill. It, it ain't nobody's stopping that. No, so, absolutely. Yes, thank you. Absolutely. Let's pick some games, right? Let's do it. All right. So, so does that tell you? We'll just start right there where we're where we're at right now. Detroit is a six point favorite. Uh, you mentioned they're, you know, Tampa Bay away from home. They're stellar uh, against the spread uh, record for the regular season. Now it's the playoffs. You're going on the road. Baker's on a little bit of a heater. Um, again, you played a team that was just in shambles. Detroit came off a much tougher game, right? They're, they were in it. They're at home. This is. It's Dan Campbell. It's three one three grit. It's oh, it's everything. It's the lion. It's the Lions' time. Alex, who you got? All right, the Lions are going to win this game. All right, there's no question about it. But I've had a hard, a hard enough time with this. Like, what happens? I mean, plus six is a pretty big number, Lou. I mean, it really is. Like, all right, I'm going to take the Bucks here, Lou. I'm going to take the plus six. Because I think they're going to keep it close. All right? Maybe it's a four-point game or a five-point game. I'm actually betting on the Bucks here to cover. Away, I think the Lions, again, they're still going to win this game. The Lions are going to be in the, in the conference championship game. But I'm taking the points and the Bucks here. I'm a believer, Lou. Okay. Uh, the thing here's what what frightens me about about Detroit because if Todd Bowles, if they can, even if they're dialing up the blitz, if the offensive line doesn't hold up and they start hitting Goff, that's when you know things are going to get a little get a little nutty because if things are clean for him, he is as good as anyone. It's when he starts getting hit. 
not that other guys don't, you know, their game changed a little bit, but his tends to really overcorrect the other, you know, kind of undercorrect, if you would. But I think I'm still going to take Detroit here. Um, I think they're going to win the game. And, it, and it's hard to maybe if the number was bigger, if it's, it's less than a touchdown, I'm going to take Detroit. I just, I just, think that this is kind of their their year they're on an emotional high right now and typically that would bring you back down but it's playoff time uh they're going to be ready they had the extra day i'm going to take detroit sorry i mean don't be sorry again i'm also no, just i might i'm losing my voice <laughs> i mean it's obviously it's i'm taking the lines as well i just think it's going to be like a three to five point game. I don't think it's going to be a touchdown yeah. type of game. And All I think right. you made a good point that I Todd Bowles is going to bring the blitz. They will hit Goff. And I think he will get rattled at times. But the truth is, can the Bucks stop that rushing attack? If they can slow it down a little bit, they got a shot. And I keep saying this, Mike Evans and Chris Godwin, they didn't have like big game. They didn't have the big games against against the Eagles. Mike Evans dropped that that deep ball that should have been a touchdown. Chris Godwin, Chris Godwin got in and got and scored the touchdown in the second half, but they didn't have the big games. I'm expecting them to come out and torch that line secondary. I really do, and they've got an advantage there. If if I'm feeling good about that front four, front seven, I'm really worried about that line secondary. And I think the way Baker threw the ball, he's got a shot against the Lions, all right? It's not like I'm buying into this hype, all right? I'm not a big Mayfield fan. I never have been, whether we're talking about college or the NFL. Even though I rooted for the Browns, I rooted against Baker. But I'm happy for him, and he looks confident off of those play-action passes. And that's why I think this game is going to be closer, um, you know, to that to that spread out there. Well, if there is such a thing, he is kind of playing with house money here, right? I mean, he's earned a bunch of incentives uh, that were in his contract. I think they signed. I think four million was the base, you know, for starting quarterback in the NFL, which you know should be closer to like thirty or forty million. Uh, yeah, so we'll talk about that as as the season. Uh, off-season progresses okay so okay houston at baltimore baltimore nine and a half ten we'll call it nine and a half for today um what do you think you think houston can hang i'm taking the texans plus nine and a half all right the ravens are gonna win this game but i'm taking the points here i just think and when i start buying into the texans that's when they let that's when they're going to let me down, right? I haven't been <laughs> buying into them. So if you want to take the Ravens, no problem. Take the Ravens just because I'm taking the Texans here. But I just think that the the Ravens' defense is good, but I keep coming back to the fact that Houston doesn't turn the ball over, okay? When Stroud has the ball in his hand, he, he makes sound decisions. Dalton Schultz will kind of showed his head, you know, showed up a little bit against the Cleveland Browns. And I think that gives hope that it's not only Nico Collins. And I think he can continue that. I think the fact that if they don't turn the ball over, they'll be in this game. All right. And I think they cover. Again, the Ravens, 
look like the best team in the AFC. And I saw that in the 49ers game, right? But I think the Texans are playing well enough. They're rested. And they've got just a cool customer there as the young rookie signal caller. So I'm taking the points here. Yeah, that's uh, this is probably the the tough the toughest one for me because again, you you look at a team, you want any game, any time you want to bet a game, regardless of what the point spread is, you want to be on a side that you believe has a chance to win the game outright. I don't know if that's there, so it's hard to say. Okay, well they'll they'll keep it close. Eh, I I don't I don't know that, so. I think just because they're the number one seed for a reason, but that's again, divisional round. That just seems like such a big number. Um, well, for <laughs> we're an hour and a half into this thing. <laughs> All right, let's, let's save some time here. Let's go. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and take Baltimore. I mean, I I've been on Houston all year and now I'm going against them. So uh, yeah. So we'll we'll go with Baltimore. I'd uh, probably change my mind by by the time Saturday rolls around, but today I'm taking Baltimore. So what do you think? Niners minus ten. You basically it's the same thing. It almost seems like the same game. I, I'm taking San Francisco in this minus ten. I think it's gonna okay. be a blowout. And I think what makes me think that it's gonna be a blowout is the fact that the Packers played so well against Dallas. And they've got, they're riding high right now into this game. They're like, we beat Dallas and we can beat anyone. Well, I don't think so. You're playing against the best team in football, or at least the best team in the NFC. And the 49ers are just going to run this down their throats. Something that Dallas wasn't able to do because that's not who their, that's not what their identity was, right? They tried to be a running team. I'm talking about the Cowboys. It didn't work. So they turned to the pass, and Dak started throwing it all over the yard to Brandon Cooks and CeeDee Lamb and to, you know, those tight ends. The 49ers are going to do it the old-fashioned way. They're going to give the ball to Christian McCaffrey, and they're going to say, all right, Packers, stop us. And they can't, okay? Fool's gold. The Packers did a great—they had a great game plan against the Cowboys— but they're not going to be able to do that twice in a row against the 49ers. And that's going to be the difference. Just running it nice. down their throats 10 times, 20, 12 times straight. Okay. And that's what Shanahan is going to do. Everybody's going to be like, oh, he wants to throw it all over the yard with Purdy. No, he's not. He, when it comes to playoffs, he's going to want to run it down your throat like his daddy did. Okay. And that's what well, he's going to do well, with McCaffrey. Yeah, I mean, that's what he's going to do. normally doesn't throw 24 to 30 passes a game. They don't, I mean, if they're, if they're winning a game, they're not throwing it more than like, like I said, between 24 and 30 times. So they're my Super Bowl pick. Everything you said, I'll take San Francisco as well. I think where everybody knows where I'm at with the Chiefs, uh, they're getting points. And I just think they're the better team right now. And a lot of that has to do with the, the lack of health on Buffalo's defensive side of the ball. Uh, I think they'll, They'll do enough offensively to off, to offset whatever uh, Josh Allen can do, and it's going to be Josh Allen. Uh, they can't allow him, you know, like 50-yard touchdowns. Hopefully the Chiefs' defense is a little bit more active in trying to tackle him. Uh, looked like Pittsburgh kind of gave up on the, on the long touchdown run. But, uh, yeah, Chiefs. 
I'm taking the Bills, Lou. I'm taking the minus two and a half. I'm sorry, my friend, but I think Buffalo is going to win at home. I think um, people are feeling good right now because they saw the Chiefs clicking a little bit more on offense. I'm not buying it. I think what I saw during the season is the accurate reflection of who, of who this team is on the offensive side of the ball. And to me, it's not good enough. I just, I don't think Pacheco is going to run wild. And I think that's what they need. Patrick Mahomes is going to make those plays, but I don't think they have enough on the outside. And I think the offensive line is going to struggle a little bit more in this game than they did against the Dolphins. And remember, the Dolphins had all their best defensive players out, especially in that front seven. So that's why I'm saying it's fool's gold a little bit. I felt very confident that the, the Chiefs were going to beat the Dolphins in the wild card game because of the injuries, because of the cold, because the Chiefs were the better team. And I think that the Chiefs defense is going to be good I don't trust the offense, but I know that most people do because you still have Patrick Mahomes behind center. I think this time Josh Allen gets it done. The Buffalo Bills are just a hot team, and I, I got to go with the hot hand here. So they cover the minus two and a half at home. The Grim Reaper versus Superman should be an interesting game, and it's uh, just be a cool sight uh, for those Buffalo fans to, to get the Chiefs in their stadium. Um, it, it should, I'm, I'm just ready for like a classic game. I don't know. You know, again, it may, I think it's going to come down to the fourth quarter. One of these quarterbacks is going to make some superhuman play and will their team across the finish line. I tend to go with the grim reaper, but I can see Superman doing his thing too. Been a bit of a marathon today, folks. So thanks for hanging with us. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and please subscribe. As I mentioned at the top of the show, it is uh, not just playoff season, but also NFL draft prep. Uh, we should have some more interviews coming down the pike. So if you like hearing players getting ready for the draft, that'll be an addition to the show. So uh, subscribe so you don't miss any. For my pal Alex, I'm Lou. As always, Oof.